You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. It is 6 past 4 uh, Tuesday, the 27th of September 2022. Uh, the weather is not too bad. It's um, you know it's like slightly sunny, slightly uh, raining. But um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, myself, Zakaria, and I have joined. I've been joined with uh, Saad Ahmed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. How was your week? The week was alhamdulillah really good. Yeah. But the weather pleasant that's a question yeah <laughs> it's really cold outside today oh okay 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 that's probably because uh you're not feeling you know that well you yeah. told me that you know you just had a just a bit under the weather today <coughs> okay okay that's right i hope i hope and pray that you get well very soon um, yeah. inshallah so for those who are f- sim- uh, familiar to our show they know that um you know we um you know we will be speaking to you for the upcoming two hours. So for these two hours, we split the two hours in two different topics. So in the first hour, uh, we will be discussing about social media and the addiction to social media, the addiction to the likes, etc., etc. And uh, what is the second topic that we will be discussing in the second hour? So the second topic today will be regarding Afghanistan okay. and its impact and what... Um, was called uh, just giving a small introduction to Afghanistan what it uh, impact financially what's happening there nowadays right okay okay right yeah so these are the two topics that we will be discussing interesting topics um, uh, but also very informative topics as well because sometimes what happens is that not everyone is aware of the the uh, the negatives of social media we are using all of us are actually involved in using the social media but sometimes we don't know how addictive it could be so um you know as you know in uh, today's day and age social media is a necessary part of our lives uh with the evolution of technology we now rely on social media tools to communicate to connect to learn and for to entertain, of course. <laughs> well, uh, Zachary, sorry, I'm cutting you. For entertainment, that's where that's where the money goes out normally. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Where your Netflix, Prime, all that. Yeah, yeah. Especially I especially mean, YouTube. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, and it's, it's your money. I mean, I don't know if anyone subscribes to YouTube <laughs> or not. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe we will because with these. Um, with the ads that they're adding, <laughs> <laughs> it's so annoying. But yeah, uh, but YouTube is something that we can't live without. It's something which is, you know, in my person, and I learn a lot of things from YouTube. Yes. Uh, and you can literally find anything on YouTube. Uh, but apart from the um, um, YouTube and and, and, uh, and and other social medias, we also use our emails um, or, or chatting apps, um, you know, to talk to one another at... Uh, um, you know, in every day, basically, and uh, it's 
made us so easy to communicate with our loved ones or even those who we want to connect uh, in, at any place in the world, right? So, um, so we use the social media. Um, for example, Twitter is very uh, famous as well, and we are active in Twitter. So, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, you, they can always, you know, visit um, at voiceofislam.uk in in Twitter. Um, but yeah, um, but what is it that's you know, pandemic has uh, brought us? Pandemic is something that uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it was such a time, and especially we are going through a pandemic as well. But you know, during the time of lockdown, uh, majority of us were involved in in uh, in social media, isn't it? And, yes, and especially the exactly internet. Especially you know, during lockdown, as you mentioned just now, that's the only way we had to communicate with our loved ones, our yep. family members, our friends, our colleagues, mm. and that's how the world was um, functioning at that time. Yep, and. Because of that, you were online constantly, twenty four seven, and that I think was an addiction in itself. Yeah. But you have to be constantly online to find out what's happening. Are my loved ones okay? Are exactly. They, are, are they? What's happening to them? What's happening in America? What's happening in Australia? What's happening in New Zealand? Yeah, we we couldn't go out. So even to communicate with our family members, we had to use the internet, and it was very difficult for the elderly people as well. Uh, but you know they are somehow safe from the harms of social media uh, because it's so difficult for them to use it so they can't they just use it for very important uh, things for example sending an email or you know uh, calling your your children or your grandchildren but apart from that I don't think you know elderly people right uh, they are so, you know so much uh, involved or or let's say addicted to social yes, media my, when my grandma calls me she just does a whatsapp call to me or facetimes me yeah. that's the most she does normally yeah exactly my grandfather when he's working he does the odd email which he just sends for his business or mm. anything that's it mm-hmm. but us instagram twitter name it facebook you name all the platforms of tiktok for example yeah you name those platforms we are on it mostly yeah exactly exactly we are literally on all the uh, you know, with this, I just remember Zakaria. Yep. You know, uh, uh, one of those platforms, Instagram, they yep. introduce all. Well, I just found out recently about it. You can set a timer on it, mm-hmm. how much time you spent on it. So I set a timer for half an hour to, um, I think, uh, forty-five minutes. Yeah. And when that hits, it just comp- uh, screen message pop- pops up. You've been spending thirty minutes to forty-five minutes on so Instagram. Is that is that for all the apps that you use? Um, I well, I just use Instagram. Okay. I, I, or Twitter. Okay. I don't none of I don't use TikTok or because okay I yep. have nothing on it right now. Right. So so uh, okay. So these are the two things that you have put in timer on. So you yeah. On. So I know my okay. That's the max I will spend on it today. Mm. So after half an hour, forty five minutes, it's mm. the, the timer pops up. Mm. It says okay, so it's time to relax. Or mm. you want to continue? Just press okay. Yeah. Apparently. That's the, Easiest way for them. Mm. Apparently, estimated uh, they've estimated that 4.48 billion people currently use the social media worldwide, uh, up more than the double from uh, which was 2.02 billion in 2015. So in just uh, seven or eight years, you know, it's it's been doubled of uh, the users of social media. Yes, you know, okay, you know, that's one reason for that is, you know, those headsets, uh, sorry, headsets, I'm saying, phone sets, which were at uh, 2015, yeah. which we cost, which, which cost 500 pounds, 600 pounds at that time, mm-hmm. which were quite expensive. Those he- handsets are still available and you can still use 
um, social media platforms on them, which yeah. are now thirty pound, forty pound. Mm. So it's more accessible to the public. Yeah, that makes sense. So in literally everyone is using smartphones now, right? With the with the touch screen, and before that. Uh, they were still using the, you the, a story. the old so, bricks. Uh, yeah, tell me. I tell you a story. My younger sister uh, went to Pakistan a couple of years back by yeah. herself, mm-hmm. and uh, she went there. And what happened was, they my auntie had an issue with the iPhone. She took from here, and one of those workers, who, you know, we have some helpers sometimes. And when when you have more guests coming, you have some helpers helping yep. you out at that time. Yep. So one of those aunties came, and she was like. Oh, I'll help you. That's fine. I I I know how to use it, and we are from UK. Yeah. In qu- question, uh, sort of speech bubbles. Right. We are from the UK, and we're like, what's happening with our phone? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. Just to press these two buttons, put a new SIM in, and we'll start working again. Right. They're more advanced. <laughs> they're <laughs> more advanced than us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I, what's the reason? Do you think? Well, the the thing as soon as those price plummeted down, yep. so, um, with the smart sets. And that became more accessible to people over yeah, there. Yeah. So they know more than us because they're competing with us now. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. Now, um, you know, if someone, l- let's say, uh, signs up at the si- at the age of 16 years um, or, you know, buys a 15, a, a buys a smartphone at, this, uh, at an age of 16 and starts using it and that certain person lived up to uh, an age of 70 years, uh, it is estimated that that's that individual or an, on average uh, a human literally uses 5.7 or nearly 6 years of his time you know using that smartphone so that's, 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 one that's question that. i have for you when was you, when when did you get your first smartphone okay that's an interesting before we go question. into social addiction <laughs> we want to find out when was the first smartphone you ever got um i uh, actually when I was 18 I was actually using my phone quite as in a, a smartphone before that I just had a normal phone uh, but then again after I um, went to the university I didn't really use uh, my phone yes so much. you're just a couple of years older than me so it seemed I was 16 at that time right, right. when I got my first ever smartphone I think I was 16 as well when I had my phone but I don't think I had a smartphone but I had a phone but that was like you know those uh, uh, 3310 Nokia's okay you just can call or do an SMS thing oh yeah I remember I had a phone that I could you know slide like this like okay like, <laughs> open like this yes I had one but but now you uh, have 13 years old 13 year old children who have an iPhone yeah. Samsung yeah and uh, when I normally when I go back home on, on, the, on the cycle when I, after work I see youngsters mm-hmm. with 13 14 years old kids yeah have an iPhone 10 uh, not 15 mm. iPhone 13 Pro yeah, we couldn't kind of never because iPhones are back in my time. You know, it was so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even think. And of if someone it. sees my phone today, it's five years old, still working perfectly fine. Yeah, and I didn't have to upgrade to anything. Mm. So uh, uh, we will be going to our first guest today. So um, in in this hour, we will be um, talking to experts on uh, the this issue of social media and the addiction. Uh, we have uh, uh, Nurjis Ahmed, who is a, a clinical director at AmbiMind uh, and has been a cognitive behavioral th- therapist in children, uh, adolescents and adults for over four years. Um, 
and uh, she's working in primary care mental health services. Um, uh, Nurjisa's specialist expertise areas include eating disorders, uh, dysphoria, person, uh, personality, uh, personality disorders, and recreational drugs and alcohol. Uh, these are only few that uh, uh, we've mentioned, but there are many that uh, um, you know she's an a- expert in. So, uh, with this small intro, I would like to welcome Nurjis to Voice of Islam Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum, and thank you very much for that. Wa thank you very much for uh, connecting with us. How are no you? Problem. I'm okay, no problem. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, Alhamdulillah. Thank you, uh, by the grace of God Almighty. Um, having worked with patients who require help for mental health conditions such as uh, substance abuse or addiction, how disruptive uh, can these issues be to those individuals? That quite. I've been working in the mental health on and off for the last ten years, as I take it, but the specialising as a psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, in therapeutic intervention has been last four or five years. But within that, yet I have, it's quite, um, addictions and drugs is very, uh, one of them common. Mm-hmm. A lot of patients, a lot of um, an addiction disorder um, patients come across. And that quite, their behavior is quite disruptive, as I say, like within a family um, or within a society. Um, that you, they don't get the benefit of a doubt that needed because sometimes it's because of the stigma, sometimes um, because of they don't get the help, sometimes they have it. So all of these situations sometimes make it a little bit, for them, it's quite hard. Hmm. So, Nurgis, you know, you, you, you work with people who have um, addic- addictions and drug um, issues. Do you believe yeah. um, social media is also an addic- addiction? Uh, if you, if it's yes, do, have you ever worked with any per- patients yeah. who have uh, abused um, social media? Yes. Um, recently, I did work with two of, three of them. So about two of my, um, two of them are clients who are struggling with social media. Mm-hmm. Because um, is that because as you know, the lack of research, recent research shows that most of them, like 70% general population, age 18 and older, using social media every day. So what happened is that they started to gain a little bit more by say, if you spend more than five or six hours mm-hmm. in social media, that's like you started to, you know, develop an addictive behavior before you know it. Mm-hmm. Because although you know the social media certainly has many uses, including like not just a positive outcome, it can be challenging to strike a balance to social media, like using TikTok, using a lot of media now at this moment, um, Facebook. So if, if you scroll in one and you go into different one, you go into different one. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's like the people before you realize is you use social media so much that it impacts your work, your education, your important parts of your life, hmm. like relationship and hobbies. So that is affecting a person's well-being. So a lot of my clients, few of my clients I come across that experience a lot of sleep, experience poor life sleep because of a 
social media users because of having the poor sleep they start to gain depressed again um as well as they start to gain anxious mm. so um there's also a uh, a stigma uh, which uh, you know that, that seeking professional help for mental health um mental health conditions uh, uh, and some uh, something like social media addictions might not be accepted as a problem uh, by many people they might think it's just a normal thing i'm just addicted but it's not an issue um please could you you know share your thoughts into why seeking professional help for such a mental health condition is uh, vital it's very important seeking professional help whether or not a person would consider themselves to be have a consider to have a social media addiction or not or is impacting quite a lot it could be themselves it could be their own or their um, family members so because it could have a massive effect in individual in that could create a depression that could create anxiety relationship issues stress because a research shows that 50 people in the UK social media uses either significant source of a stress are very significant source of stress in their life. So that starts to go to the isolation. Sometimes it's body image related content. So a lot of negative impact, even though we have a positive impact of social media uses. Mm-hmm. So it's very important, even the stigma, the mental health, in still that it's even like say a lot of people, a lot of family member, if you think about it more of a cultural way. So in our culture, we don't want to sometimes we say, oh my gosh, you can't say this because it's not a good thing. Because public esteem involves a negative or discriminatory attitude that would have about mental health, isn't it? Okay. So, yes, you know, all these um, issues and stress, isolation, you know, is there a set yes. pattern which you see uh, among those patients or not? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because... Some of the my patients display that kind of pattern because some of them, especially like body image, like a, a, at this moment, the social media is one of them. Like if you see a lot of um, actors, a lot of young people that could use a lot of filters to make them look that way that they want to. But mm-hmm. however, the reality that it is not that true. And some people have social anxiety that can't go outside to talk to presentation or talk meeting people that feel uncomfortable. But what happened is in social media they could talk to the people, communicate with the people what they want. So in not their true self. So it's more of a, like they're creating a fake environment when they sometimes some people cope like their um, like and dislike they're not receiving enough light on their post that starts to gain anxiety and depression worrying so all these things quite i could see in a lot of my clients represent when they're using it a lot of time in social media okay so no just you know this information you have given us it's um it's really good so we can also for our audience especially who can understand um talk about it with their own family members and everyone around them so i would like to say thank you for this inside knowledge from your side Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Assalamu Thank you very much for Nurgis uh, for connecting to us and answering our questions. Uh, this was Nurgis Ahmed, a clinical director at uh, Ambi Mind. Um, 
So just before um, we were speaking to Nurgis, um, we were discussing about uh, the impact and, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, in the world, how much time you've spent in uh, in using the social media. And I was saying that if you lived up to from, from the age of 16 till 17, uh, average, I think, you know, youngsters, they get their phones by 16 or maybe earlier. Yes, but early let's say they get it by 16 and they live up till you know, 70. Almost seven years in total they use their phones. Which yeah, is a lot, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Actually, uh, as even mentioned, you know, in UK, what's um, impacting is, is stress, isolation, body image. From this stigma from uh, social media, when you're scrolling through especially, you see a image in front of you, you think, oh, that's how you should be. That's how you should portray, you, portray yourself, hmm. right? But afterwards you find, oh, that's been photoshopped or that's been altered in some way or another way. Yeah. And then you find, okay, these are not real images. Hmm. But when you see it for the first time, you think, oh, that's how you should be. And that links towards stress and yeah, being, exactly. and you know, being not, I want to say ashamed of yourself or how, how I look and everything. But you, you feel a bit timid or I should look that way. That would make me f- feel more powerful, make mm. me feel better in one way or, or the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you expose yourself or ex- if you, um, let's say, put pictures and you compete with, ch- with each other, you want to be better and better. I mean, it, it, there is never satisfaction. You know, you can never be satisfied of the picture that, you, that you've put. You want to have a better picture next time. And then suddenly you want to have, you know, um, uh, uh, surgeries or plastic surgeries to make yourself an ideal person that you actually like. But, I mean, this goes on and on and on. It's something which is an addictive thing. And uh, true happiness, right, um, it can never find in in uh, in the beauties of of the world. Let's say, and the true happiness is, you know, as Muslims we believe, in the remembrance of God Almighty and being recognized by God. This is what true happiness is. But people try to find this through, you know, social media or or being recognized or the um, the the more likes they get, the, the more happier, so called happier that they get. want to be linked with something, right? They yeah. want to have something to be linked to yeah. to feel um, in a community sense type hmm. so what they do is social media especially as I say call community you can use it for good you can use it for for bad also at the same time it has the pros and has the cons also hmm. as um, she has even mentioned before lack of sleep that's really important I think it might have happened to you also I don't know it has, it has happened to me you're scrolling you're scrolling through Instagram hmm. and you find oh it's been two hours yeah I mean um, a lack of sleep because cause, uh, this is one of the things and I think um, it, it's very important and the next day Fajr is like oh that's getting the Fajr, Fajr well. is yeah, the, the, first the morning pray. it's the first prayer in the morning first prayer of the morning yeah and it's like oh I mean, am I missing it am I still waking up it, it's really hard then to wake up you waste so much time and by the time you've scrolled through so many videos you realise that you've you know spent two hours and then you've got only a few hours to sleep before Fajr or before you go to work let's say and you just your sleep pattern literally dis- get destroyed and you know you get more and more dis- depressed do it because of that as well just speaking of knowledge wise you you don't gain anything mostly by scrolling through for two hours mm. normally. Mm-hmm. 
it was if it was like inform, if in, informative i would understand you're learning something for two hours yep. that's still you're processing some information to but if you're scrolling through pictures and videos okay the funny videos i'm saying i did watch them but <laughs> but it's wasting two hours for your uh, on, on your whole day hmm. or even more as, as you said some people spent four, f- uh, five to six hours yep. daily Five to six, six hours daily. That's a lot. Five to six hours daily. I mean, you just said it, right? I mean, you were scrolling, right? And uh, you didn't <laughs> realize. Two hours later. <laughs> That's how the timer on now, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't really realize how much time you've wasted. So, Zakaria, sorry. You know, what is an addiction, though? What do you classify as a addiction? Well, just before going to this topic, I would like to quote a quotation of His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, where he explains what the um, cruelties uh, are of social media and what uh, what else you can do instead of being ad- addictive to the social media. And he states that where there is goodness, there is also evil and immorality and cruelties of the highest order are being per- uh, perpetrated in today's world. Modern technology is being abused by many in order to spread satanic influences and injustice. And as a result, mankind is moving away from God and true faith. Today, it is only the satellite channel of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the MTA International, that is broadcasting peace, righteousness and virtue 24 hours a day in accordance with the true teachings of God Almighty and the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. him. So when, when Huzur mentioned about the satanic um, you know, influences, what do you understand with that? Well, with these, you know, we have influence around us, right? Mm. You have good influence or bad influence. Yep. But... We we need to understand what kind of influence we want to take, right? Hmm. For that, you have your friends, families, and your elders, especially, to help you out. Hmm. So we should always seek guidance. If you if you if you don't understand anything, ask. Just ask the question. What is it? Right. You should ask this question. Simple as that. Someone will tell you something. You go ask another person. Ask people around. What's this? What's that? What's social media, especially itself? Youngsters should be asking this question. What is social media? Hmm. If they understand what social media is, then they will be spending two, uh, five to six hours. Eight, who is um, age eighteen and above, they spend five six hours. They will be spending that. They will be spending so less, but they might be spending a bit time, but not that much. Then, hmm. what I understand from satanic influences is, I think, uh, social media is something that drifts you away from God Almighty. You know, it gets you involved in the pleasure of of the world which you think that it's an everlasting pleasure but it is not it's something that you know you want more and more of this and this way the uh, things the good things that are uh, taught by religion especially islam you know you start forgetting them especially the prayers for example or you know meeting your brothers in a normal way when you go to the prayers etc etc so a lot of things uh, you can take from this abstract um we believe that we have our second guest, um, uh, Janali Kolas, uh, who is a, a PhD student from the psychology department at University of Warwick, who studies social media addiction with a focus on measuring attentional and behavioral um, differences between those at greatest risk of addiction and general 
social media users. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for thank you very much, uh, Janelle, for uh, joining to, uh, with us. Um, please tell us a bit about your work and what uh, your PhD focuses on. Yes, so as you mentioned, I'm studying social media addiction in the psychology department at University of Warwick, and I'm looking at classic components of addiction and how they might appear among people at risk of social media addiction. So whether it's substance abuse or behavioral addiction, we see these components, which are salience, mood modification, tolerance, withdrawal, conflict, and relapse. Mm -hmm. So salience would be social media dominating thoughts, feelings, behavior. Mood modification is found when people use social media as a coping strategy for things like stress. Tolerance is where people use it more and more and more. And conflict, of course, is when you use social media so often, you end up with problems in your working life, your family life, your friendships, and then withdrawal and relapse when people quit using social media are they feeling low and do they quickly go back to those high levels of usage? So I'm looking at these components to determine how this emerging disorder could be similar and distinct from recognized addictions. But I use the term addiction. Um, it's important to note in using that term that this is not yet a formally recognized addiction like alcoholism or gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. But people are saying it's a problem. So we're doing the research to try to figure out what's happening there. Mm -hmm. You just said you, you, you're doing about the research. How advanced are we uh, in this day and age regarding this topic, social media addiction? And has the research and science caught up with it yet? Or how rapidly you know, the technology is rapidly changing uh, every day? That's a good question. You know, actually, Internet addiction has been studied for over 20 years. And a few years ago, there was a debate as to whether or not to formally recognize Internet addiction as a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. But it never really went ahead because Internet addiction is too broad. So if someone spends all their money and time gambling online, are they an Internet addict or are they addicted to gambling? Mm -hmm. So with social media, it's a bit more specific, so we're able to um, study it a bit more easily. Mm -hmm. But... You know, just over 10 years ago, there were only a handful of studies on this topic. Now it's a really booming topic, but we're still at an early stage. Um, but we've seen research from video game addiction be so successful that it's now recognized by the World Health Organization. So the same could potentially happen with social media addiction, but we're still at the early stages. But mm -hmm. even though we're at the early stages, private clinics are actually opening um Treat, opening up treatment for this emerging disorder. So, early stages of research, but possibly an emerging need. Yes, if you, uh, we are in the early, let's say, in the early stages of research right now, but mm -hmm. is social media addiction to the society at large or just a specific group? Well, it's really hard to say how many people it affects. Mm -hmm. It's been estimated anywhere between 5 and 25%. Some people even say lower, some people say higher. It depends how you measure it. Um, but we know that, like other addictions, 
people who are at risk of social media addiction are usually a bit more impulsive, might have problems with emotional regulation, and mm-hmm. unique to social media addiction, people at risk are lonelier, they're more narcissistic, they might have more self-esteem problems, um, and social media is unique in and of itself because of how widespread it is. Every day, billions of people use it, and it's not yes. uncommon at all for people to use it two and a half hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, based on your experiences um, and, and research so far, what are your conclusions and how serious is the impact of social media um, and, and what attention should be put on this? You know, I don't think we know yet. Um, I think there are a lot of similarities with existing addictions that are recognized. And I went to a conference recently on behavioral addiction, and there were an enormous number of talks mm-hmm. just about the similarities between social media addiction and other uh, recognized addictions. So I think we're finding this out. Um, But it is, it's a hot topic. In the United States, where I'm originally from, there have been multiple acts of legislation where they're trying to regulate social media companies because of, um, because they're saying the content uh, can be addictive. You know, I, I read a study from a few years ago where giving or viewing highly liked content um, is found to relate to activation of brain regions associated with reward. And when you look at social media, mm-hmm. it's uh, very rewarding content presented randomly in an infinite scroll, almost like a slot machine. Hmm. And, and it's some, something that you... you and uh, they'll actually put the same sort of uh, content again and again and you keep on scrolling and scrolling because something you've liked or you've seen or you posed for a let's say uh 30 second you know at the back they they would know that you know this is something you like they'll put something like that more in in your social media isn't it exactly they have these algorithms so they know what you've liked before they know what you're interested in, and they keep presenting it to you and the infinite scroll it's very hard to stop yeah it's and, and the easy what what finally what would you say how can we save ourselves from being uh, addictive to the social media how can we limit ourselves you know I would say um, when you're working don't have your phone on your desk okay. don't have your phone in your bag have your phone in another room um, there was an interesting study a few years ago where they said if you're completing a task the presence of your phone can have a brain drain effect. Mm. Even if you're not checking your phone, um, Mm -hmm. it can uh, worsen your task performance, even if you don't think you're paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And then um, social media excessive use really affects people's sleep, so charge your phone downstairs. (laughs) Yeah. And and (laughs) use a alarm clock instead of your phone. Use an alarm clock, they exist. (laughs) Simple old days, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you very much uh, uh, for your time, Janelle, and uh, and answering our questions. Hopefully we'll have you again in one of our shows. thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
So this was Janelle Colas, a, a, a PhD student from the psychology department at University of Warwick. So uh, you asked me a question earlier. What is addiction? Yes. Now, <sighs> with that reason, then we can talk about um, what Janelle has also said after that. But we need to first, first find out what addiction is. Mm, yeah. Well, addiction can be classified as not having control over your doing taking or using something to the point where it could be harmful to you so you don't have any control of yourself or you're not you sometimes you're aware but you're also not aware of the harms of it and whilst addictions are the most commonly associated with smoking drinking or gambling um as human beings uh, have the uh, propensity to be addicted to almost everything and anything so anything that you uh you know it could be food it could be uh, games work um and of course you know uh, we are discussing about the social media something that you like um and you do it a lot and you keep on doing it and you you keep on liking it okay so there could be a an addiction to that so it could be anything literally but the social media is this thing that you know because you have so much content from the world and every single time you turn on your phone go to the app you'll find all the things that you like and yes. you keep on keep As on watching Janelle mentioned the algorithm especially yep you like a post yep the system knows okay he likes this kind of contact mm. content sorry and from there alg- alg- algorithm works and works mm. and after a couple of days it understands you hmm. what you like where you pause where you play yeah. and what kind of area you live in and it it be around just for your surroundings for example there was a van barber shop yep right which opened up during pandemic or just after pandemic and uh, it said okay it's near you and I, c- I clicked on it and it's actually it was near my area hmm. where i live i was like okay so y- instagram does know my location yeah roughly then i checked oh my location was ticked on yeah yeah so it is they're like okay your location is there and cuz i was looking for i think looking through hair, um hairstyles for men exactly and it came okay there's a barber for you just around the corner sometimes <laughs> you don't even search for something and you're just discussing with your friends and suddenly <laughs> that's what pops up that means you've been listened yeah yes. <laughs> right um so we uh we have a interview that um you know it's 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 a recorded interview with Dr Anna uh, Lamke um who is um uh, basically um a, a a an american uh, psychiatrist and uh, a chief of Stanford University's addiction medical dual diagnosis clinic uh which supports patients with substance abuse disorders and behavioral addiction so we had this uh, interview earlier with her so i would like to play this for in front of you so thank you again dr anna lemke for joining us at voice of islam radio today really grateful that you could take your time out to uh, be here so please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself specializing in the medical field of addiction 
from the opioid epidemic to now smartphone and technology addiction? Well, I'm a psychiatrist. I trained here at Stanford University, and then I joined the faculty after my psychiatry residency. And initially, when I went into psychiatry, I was not interested in treating patients with addiction. In fact, I had been educated to believe that addiction was a social uh, disease, not a not a medical disease. So it was an evolution in my own career uh, to realize that addiction really is a brain disease. There are also obviously psychological and social components, but there's this very important neurobiological aspect. And um, when I started asking patients about substance use problems and other addictions, what I discovered was number one, they were eager to talk about it. And number two, um, by targeting specifically their addiction problems in addition to their other psychiatric problems, they got better a lot faster. So that was really a revelation for me because I realized that I, like most psychiatrists, um, had been ignoring addiction. And in, in doing so, I was really depriving my patients of the opportunity to get well. I see, I see. And did you find that this is kind of, are these, do you find it that people are less likely to talk about addiction in the first place as well? It's very stigmatized. There's an enormous amount of shame around addictive behaviors. So patients typically will not volunteer that information, but if asked in a caring and empathic way by a physician, you know, in a private setting, my experience is that patients are not just willing to talk about it, but actually eager to talk about it because they know it's a problem. They want to do something about it. Um, it's just a matter of helping them find the way. Yeah, absolutely. So then I know that at the moment you are kind of pushing for social media and technology to also be recognized as um, kind of addictions to be recognized as disorders to be treated. And you appeared in the Netflix show, uh, The Social Dilemma, where you argued that social media is a drug, which does exploit the need for human connection. So please, would you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So starting in the early 2000s, shortly after the, you know, the cell phone and the smartphone um, came out, I started seeing more and more patients coming in with what we call behavioral or process addictions. These are addictions to behaviors rather than drugs. Um, but I think of digital content as really just a, a digital drug. And these, these patients were reporting things like compulsive overconsumption of internet pornography, compulsive overconsumption of video games, compulsive overconsumption of online shopping. And then of course, with the advent of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, we started seeing patients who were, were reporting pathological use of Snapchat and Instagram and other social media um, content. What do I mean by pathological use? Well, the definition of addiction is the continued compulsive use of a substance or behavior despite harm to self and or others. When we diagnose addiction, we usually diagnose it based on four C's, control, compulsion, craving, and consequences. In my clinical experience, people can develop addiction to a behavior and a digital drug in particular, like social media, the same way that they can develop an addiction to traditional drugs like alcohol, cocaine, cannabis, methamphetamine. 
And that looks like this. People use out, start using drugs. And when I use the term drugs, I'm talking broadly, including digital drugs. They started out using for one of two reasons, to have fun or to solve a problem. The problem can be wide ranging from depression, anxiety, insomnia, to loneliness and boredom and everything in between. If the drug works for them to either create fun or solve that problem, they will return to use. The problem is that repeated use over time changes our brain, putting us into a a dopamine deficit state where ultimately our drug stops working. It may even turn on us and do the opposite of what we had hoped for. We start to develop serious problems related to the drug and our mood plummets where we're experiencing the universal symptoms of withdrawal when we're not using our drug. And those universal symptoms are anxiety, irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and craving. So the paradox here is that people often start using drugs, including digital drugs, uh, to solve a problem like depression. But over time, that drug actually makes that original problem worse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then following on from this, do you think that social media has the propensity to cause addiction among any and all users, or is it those who are already more susceptible to addiction, the ones who are most in danger, or perhaps a mix of both? Not everybody who uses alcohol will become addicted to alcohol, right? It's a combination of an innate vulnerability to alcohol, having access to alcohol, and then other life circumstances. And the same is going to be true for social media. The vast majority of people who use social media will not become addicted to social media, but there will be a subset of individuals uh, for whom social media is their drug of choice. And these are individuals who may have no predilection for alcohol addiction or cocaine or opioid or nicotine addiction, but for whom social media is their drug of choice. It's the key that unlocks the pleasure in their specific reward circuitry. And for those individuals, Um, they will be susceptible to social media addiction. I think one could speculate that um, perhaps women and especially young women are more vulnerable to this problem. But I would argue more broadly that anybody who is highly relational and for whom human attachment is uh, deeply rewarding and important, those would be individuals, broadly speaking, uh, independent of gender, um, who who might be susceptible to a social media addiction. Of course, we're seeing lots of reports of young girls being harmed, um, you know, through social media. Another source of harm that's related to the addiction uh, to social media, uh, which again, importantly, releases a lot of dopamine and the reward pathway is very reinforcing, leads to this dopamine deficit state and this compulsive return to use despite the drug not working. But the other thing that happens with social media is that it invites constant comparisons with other people, leading to feelings of worthlessness. No matter how beautiful and how thin and how rich and how talented uh, you know, we imagine we are or want to be, there's always somebody else out there who seems to have one up on us. And this is the nature of social media and another reason that it propels uh, feelings of self-worth, depression, and anxiety. Um, So then finally, in your book, uh, Dopamine Nation, you state that moderation can kind of be the key to successfully maneuvering social media. So how would you say that social media can be used in moderation to kind of 
um, avoid as much of this harm as possible. Because social media is a drug, which means that it releases a lot of dopamine in our brain's reward pathway, and dopamine is our reward or pleasure neurotransmitter. Uh, and because that process of releasing a lot of dopamine all at once changes our brain and puts us in a dopamine deficit state, which is akin to depression, the first order of business in overcoming our compulsive overconsumption of social media, uh, as well as any drug, is to abstain from the drug for long enough to reset reward pathways and reassert baseline healthy levels of dopamine firing. So what I recommend to people who are you know, addicted to social media, or even those who are finding that they're engaging in problematic use, which may not yet meet threshold criteria for addiction, I recommend first a period of abstinence away from the drug. I like to recommend four weeks because four weeks is on average how long it takes to reset reward pathways and get out of the cycle of compulsion, uh, compulsive overconsumption. Um, less than that, what happens is all people experience is the withdrawal without the benefits of re re restoring baseline dopamine firing. So after four weeks um, of abstinence, not using that drug for any reason, whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or all, all of them combined, um, then I ask people to really reflect on, on whether or not they want to go back to using their drug in moderation or whether they want to continue to abstain. In my clinical experience, most people want to go back to using their drug, but they want to use less. They want to use in a less compulsive way. They want to moderate their use. So then we talk about self-binding strategies. Self-binding strategies are ways of putting literal and metacognitive barriers between ourselves and our drug of choice so that we can press the pause button between desire and consumption. When it comes to digital drugs, uh, you know, this can take the, the, the form of time constraints, literal, geographic, physical um, barriers, and also categorical barriers. So for example, for, uh, for social media, a time constraint might be telling ourselves, well, I'm only gonna go on social media two days a week no more than two hours a day. So we commit to not being on social media except for during those times. Or maybe it's one hour a day, you know, after we've finished our chores and our homework and our obligations to family, et cetera. Um, and then really, you know, um, keeping close track of whether or not we're sticking to those limits. Um, using um, literal geographic barriers might be things like deleting the apps, right? or maybe even getting a phone that doesn't allow for those types of apps. There's technology now where people can get phones that do certain things that connect to the internet, but not others. Um, not keeping the phone in the bedroom, right? Having um, geographic spaces in the house that are tech-free spaces, kind of sacred spaces. Um, categorical barriers are things like uh, deciding which of our digital drugs we can moderate and which ones we honestly can't. So for example, maybe I can moderate Facebook, but I can't moderate Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter. So I decide that Facebook is okay in my life, but those others I don't engage in. So things like that. Um, Dr. Anna Lemke, I just wanna thank you again for joining us today and thank you for taking the time out to speak. Um, all of this has been very interesting and you are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, it was my pleasure. So this was a um, interview pre-recorded with Dr. Anna Lemke. 
Um, very interesting um, interview indeed, and we've learned so much from this interview. Um, thank you uh, for that. Um, Saad, would you like to tell us um, about how we can break free and stay safe from uh, you know the addictions and yes. what what uh, has uh, you know uh, is the the leader of the Ahmadi community or the Imam and and, and the Caliph what has he said um, for us to do because you know as as Muslims as Ahmadis we of course this is the guidance that we need yes. Right? So His Holiness, um, our fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he um, he has said, we Ahmadiyya Muslims must never allow new technology to deviate us from the path of righteousness. Rather, we must use it to enhance our spiritual and moral standards and to increase our love for Allah and the Holy Prophet and to increase our relationship of love towards the promised Messiah that which that's why he said, uh, during a conclusion session in Qadian. So, quickly, yeah. just, you know, I'm just going to add in a few points of mine because we're coming to the end of the show, right? So, these, these are t- uh, tested and tried versions. So, hmm. what we can do is basically put our phones to the side. Yep. Don't look at them. Uh, just turn off all notifications. Yeah. Secondly, log out and just try to avoid logging back to, into it, right? Yeah. And the third one, which I mentioned, was put a timer on the app. Yeah. And there are many, like more, you, like many, more, many, many, many more things, but we're coming to the end of the show. Yeah, so perfect. Zakaria, if you can complete for us. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, very uh, valuable and, and um, uh, the tips that you've given, of course. Um, in conclusion, and we are at the ad- uh, end of the sh- uh, today, um, this hour's show, um, social media addiction is a very real issue that isn't just unfortunate, but rather sinisterly even encouraged by today's few social media platforms that dominate. Um, In this context, social media addiction should be a concern for every single person who uses technology that connects to the internet or the Wi-Fi as they will be exposed to mechanisms that need users to, uh, to stay engaged in order for monetary value. And almost all of us might be affected by social media addictions, whether it is through self-experience or because we have witnessed it in some close to use. His Holiness um, has, you know, we've uh, given quotations of uh, His Holiness um, and we've learned so much that this is an evil if if it's been used without, you know, thinking, without uh, knowing what the harms are. If you know it and we limit ourselves, of course, then, you know, we can save ourselves. So, um, I would like to uh, go to our news and here is the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Drive Time Show. Uh, in the previous hour, we were discussing about the effects of social media, especially the addiction that we have. Uh, you know, pretty much everyone is addicted 
to the social media, especially those who you know um, use uh, our mobile phones for using the social media. Uh, but for this hour, we have a uh, slightly different topic, and the topic for this hour will be so regarding Afghanistan mm-hmm. and its impacts and what's happening over there right now with the poverty right. and everything. Yes. Mm. According to the World Bank, about 9.2% of the world, or 689 million people, live in extreme poverty or less than $1.90 a day, $1.90 a day. In the United States, 10.5% of the population, 34 million people, live in poverty as of 2019. Poverty has been a major issue in Afghanistan since the Soviet invasion in 1979 with the Taliban invasion in mid-2021. The country is facing a severe humanitarian economic crisis. After the Taliban takeover, the international community froze Afghanistan's assets abroad and halted all fundings. Foreign aid, which once uh, popped up the country has been slowed to return. According to the United Nations Development Program, as much as 97% of the Afghan population is at risk of sinking below the poverty line. Amidst the rise in poverty, 70% of households are unable to meet food and non-food needs, which is particularly affecting uh, widows and elderly people, uh, with disabled people and also children and uh, with a estimated 3 million children at risk of malnutrition and um, susceptible to diseases like diarrhea uh, due to weakened immunity. I mean, so much going on in in Afghanistan, especially, you know, they, um, you know, they've gone to so much poverty, which is, and and it's it's been there since, uh, you know, 1979, isn't it? And then, uh, with the invasion of Taliban in uh, 2021, it's gone even worse. It's there's so much going on. I mean, uh, yes. What's Zakaria? You know, this poverty thing, mm. especially throughout the world. Obviously, our topic today is regarding Afghanistan yep. and what's happening over there. But poverty, at itself, it's really difficult. Yes, because they are human beings like us, right? Mm-hmm. We are fortunate enough to be in the UK right now. Yeah. And we have all all the means right now. We have food, water, transport, what you name it, we have it here. Hmm. And over there, you have these difficulties. They, the children over there are dying out of hunger, out of illnesses. So we, as a, if the audience is listening to us, we should try, even if we can send 50p uh, from our side over there, and if let's say, hundred thousand people do it, and that's about fifty thousand pounds straight going over there to, to help out those people in, in need, and that's fifty. That's just a fifty p. Mm-hmm. And a milk bottle nowadays costs about a one pound thirty, right, Zakaria? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it things. You know, we can do small things. Small to, things. Uh, that's a fifty p. That's a small thing. Yeah, and send it over there as a charity. <laughs> And that will help them out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, God Almighty says in chapter 2 that, and we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to the patient who when a misfortune overtakes them 
say surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return what do you learn from this Zakri with this you know I've, what I've learned is, is Allah is always with those people who are mm. patient mm-hmm. in Allah Masabirin. yep Allah is always with those who are patient mm. so we should always try and bow ourselves towards Allah the Almighty yeah. ask his help because he's the one who's guiding us to the right path right mm. indeed indeed I mean serving God Almighty is a part of our faith isn't it it's That's one of the pillars of our faith and we understand serving God Almighty does it only include the worship that we do the five daily prayers um, the, the the prayers that we do there the physical two prayers. parts of it right mm-hmm. one is the rights towards Allah yeah and the second part is the rights to its creation mm-hmm. so they both go hand in hand hmm. if I'm just praying five daily prayers and not looking what's happening around me and not helping out those people in need yeah my prayers are literally in vain yeah unless exactly. unless something else planned for me that's that's a completely different topic yeah but these two things go hand in hand hmm. you have to help serve you um the creation which Allah has created yep so they are also human beings they are your brothers your sisters imagine that it was one of your yeah. sisters or brothers who were in Afghanistan at that time hmm what about that? Yeah, exactly. We should always think in that way. Okay, those are our brothers and they are our sisters hmm. who are there. If you try and help them out. But hmm. what happens sometimes, you know, we tend to get a bit lazy. We forget about it. Yeah. But when you have everything, you forget about some aspects of um, difficulties. Like when my parents moved to Germany, hmm. because I, I was born in Germany. They They face hardships, right? Because my dad was working constantly yep. to provide for the family. Mm-hmm. Even though in the, that era was different than the 1990s, yep. providing us, that was the main thing. When I was born, I just saw the, the, those luxuries. Okay, I asked my father, I need this, I need clothes, I need milk, I need that. Yep. My father used to provide for me. Mm. I, I never had this idea, oh, you have to earn for it. Mm. right? Now when I've grown up, okay, you have to earn to provide for your family. Yep. But now, because I have that education, with me so I can provide for them in, in an easier way hmm. for them because my father wasn't that educated he had to do hard labor manual labor mostly yeah. and now what we do is what I do is just, uh, I sit in front of a computer and work yeah most of the time yeah. it, it's, it's it's that's also a stressful work I mean the hard work and the patience that they had it in the we see the fruitation of it and that's correct with with you and, so and we should share that as well. with yep. them also exactly definitely and that's the sacrifice we, we have to make ourselves definitely definitely now we just and i just said that taliban took over in, t- in 2021 after they took control of the country the suspension since a uh, suspension of foreign aid and paralysis um of the banking sector have led to almost 95% of, of Afghans not affording the regular meals, which is also leading to malnutrition. In order to obtain the basic necessities um, and to feed their children, people are forced to sell their other, you know, their other t- children. I mean, can you imagine? They ha- there's so much in poverty that you know they can't even um, you know uh, provide for their children, and they're selling their children. In order to, you know, uh, have their 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 own necessities, which is of course, you know, unacceptable. Okay, uh, but they're still doing it. But you know, th- this is why 
Um, I mentioned this first of the Holy Quran that God Almighty is indeed with those who have patience. Recently, the CNN reported some Afghan families desperate enough to give their daughters in marriage to obtain some money to feed their families due to their economic and humanitarian crisis. According to the United Nations uh, International Children's Emergency Fund, uh, the UNICEF and uh, an estimated 3.7 million children are out of school in Afghanistan and among them 60% are girls. So the mainly uh, it's girls who are being affected in Afghanistan. Um, again, enrollment figures have also begun to dip from 6.2 million in 2015 to 5.8 million in 2019 and 20. Uh, the share of the government budget going on education is also shrinking even as the population is growing steeply children are leaving school to earn money for their families and women have been forced to uh, you know in in going into begging because of the poverty of the country i mean it's a uh, it's 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 horrible. I mean, yes, uh, sir, it's it's tough times over there. It is, but as you have mentioned before, um, regarding people are selling off their children, yeah. right? Hmm. That's I imagine a parent has to sell its child to someone hmm. just to provide for the other children. Yeah, but what even does the, the Holy, Holy Quran say? Even though the Holy Quran says, it says you shouldn't kill uh, your children out of poverty, right? Yep, exactly. But uh, for them. They mm. are just taking the quick way out. Our, it's, it's it's hard to make it simple, mm. but yeah, I mean, yes. uh, I believe uh, this verse that you've just mentioned is actually the verse of chapter seventeen, and uh, uh, you know, Hazrat Khalifat al Masih the second, the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community. You know, he actually in the commentary of this verse explained that those miserly parents who do not provide proper education, secular or moral and religious and who do not provide food and clothing to their children in fact contribute their physical and moral death yes Zakaria. Yeah. Um, I mean this is not only limited to you know let's say education of uh, you know the, the schooling that that the children but the education or taking care of them how whatever you can right but in if you slay them if you kick them away or if you sell them I mean, this is which is not accepted by God Almighty. Um, and this is a commandment of God Almighty. Do not slay your children for the fear of poverty. Yes, the Creator. You know, they ha- they are facing tough times over there right now. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. But they should be patient. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to, know, to it's, say it's this, difficult, right, it's, isn't it? If we, you say they I'm should sitting, be patient. Because I'm sitting here in the I UK. Mean, you don't, you're I not have, in their shoes, isn't it? I'm, I have a nice building. I have a microphone in yeah. front of me, 24-hour electricity. Yeah. I have a good laptop in front of me yeah. where I can just do uh, my uh, look at, through all the uh, informations. Mm. I have a phone here. I have water, running tap. Mm. What else do we have here? We have good luxury, let's say here, right? Yeah. Over there, they have they're facing tough times. Exactly, exactly. Some more, um, you know, uh, information about Afghanistan, for example. The banks are running out of money. Wages have not been paid for months. And food prices have risen. Food prices not just risen there, but here as well. But their food prices are extreme. They they cannot, you know, afford it at all. But it's always with the economy, right? Yep. As the economy crashes, the prices go up. 
Exactly. exactly. You can see with the pound, which if it's coming close to the dollar now. It's yeah. at 94, 93. Yeah. We can check, uh, if someone checks online for us and let us know from the audience how what's the dollar rate right now. But it's close now. Mm. Where it used to be for one one pound, you used to get about a one dollar twenty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember. I think even fifty pence, fifty dollar, fifty dollars for hundred pounds. Uh, sorry, so f- f- for one pound, you used to get one one and a half dollars. I think it was this close. I think if I'm not wrong, but yeah, that's because it's been recently to U- United States, and mm. I think three uh, three four hundred pound with me mm. just just for spending money, not mm. the food, just just to just splash it. Right, yeah. three hundred pound is quite a lot of money. It is, it and is it gave me a good amount of money out. But now the eco- economy as we are plummeting, that we were leveling up with dollar at the same time. Hmm. Well, I think Zakaria we were deviating from the actual topic right now. <laughs> so Isabel Mozart Carlson, uh, uh, Carlson, sorry, uh, who is the head of the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, has said in her interview with CNN that people of Afghanistan will be dying of hunger in the next couple of months and not just a few. Abdullah al-Dardari, United Nations Development Program's resident representative in Afghanistan, in his interview with Al Jazeera in September last year, said that the poverty rate could increase by up to 25% as a result of the construction of Afghanistan's real gross domestic um, uh, product. Half of the country is already in need of humanitarian support. Usually in a country in this situation, international financial institutions such as the IMF, uh, the World Bank and all the uh, bilateral and uh, multilateral financial institutions would get together with the UN and propose an economic reform program and of course we know that this is not going to happen. Yes, agree. Uh, Zakaria, sorry, I'm cutting you here short yeah, a bit. Sure. I just remember, just uh, this flashed in front of me a clip. I remember when the Taliban took over Afghanistan, yeah, and there were planes flying out out of um, Kabul yeah. at that time, and people were jumping on the tires of the plane, hmm. and you could see from videos, and you can see like a small dot coming down from the sky. Yeah, well, that wasn't a dot. That was a human being falling out of the sky. Not just one. I mean, was they climbed on the on the wings of the the the, the plane, and on on the other side, wherever they could stand or uh, you know hold on, and as soon as the plane went up, they were dropping like you know ants. Yes. Right. And of course, the, the, the our uh, when when uh, humans drop from a, uh, such a high. Uh, they, they they don't survive. They don't survive. If you put economy course. to the side for a mm. second, and the loss of lives yeah. at that time, mm. that was uh, was a great number, also, mm. isn't it, Zakaria? Yeah, I that mean, number was a, a great number. Mm. Those people who they were trying to escape that regime, right? Yeah, trying yeah. to make uh, go to another place and try to work out their lives again yeah. from zero. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, on the way. They lost their lives. I mean, there is certainly, you know, you uh, might remember, Saad, correct me if I'm wrong, that the difficulties that you go through in your life, right, doesn't matter what difficulties you go through, the more difficulties you go through and the trust you have in God Almighty, God forgives your sins, the yes. previous sins, mm-hmm. right? 
And eventually what happens is, you know, let's say, God forbid, someone dies because of poverty <coughs> or because of persecution or because of uh, difficulties they're going through. Right, God forgives their their sins, and eventually they are, you know, being entered in in the Jannah or in the heaven, right? And this is such uh, such a thing that if humans think that look, this is a temporary life, you know, once we will go back to God Almighty, and He, we will be accountable of how we lived in this world, right? God knows these people who are struggling, who are dying out of hunger or or not being able to survive properly right god will you know god is with them and god willing they will be helped or if not in this world in the hereafter you know their you know sins will be forgiven and they will you know inshallah hopefully and god willing enter the heaven so we pray for the difficulties of the people of Afghanistan that may Allah take away may God Almighty take away their difficulties and may um, God give them ease and and so that they can go through these difficulties and they can see the sunshine again in their country yes, you remember Allah the Almighty says yep. Allah has created a man weak right so we have our weaknesses hmm. but uh, when we are facing difficulties yep. and then even becoming more weak and forgetting Allah and mm. trying to cut corners trying to make us um, make a better life for ourselves mm. but at that time it's difficult but if if we turn towards Allah the Almighty yeah. and pray towards Him ask mm. for His help because when, remember when, when, when you read the very first chapter of the Holy Quran it says اِهْدِنَ سَرَاتِ الْمُسْتَقِينَ سَرَاتِ الْزِنَانَ we implore for your help yeah. right we ask you for your help so we should ask Allah the Almighty always okay yeah. oh, oh Allah please if you're putting us into this um, situation yeah. you you, the, you are the one only who can take us out from the situation yeah. also and so God you know when you have this trust and you continuously pray to God Almighty he takes you away from the, the bad situation and he puts you in a good situation but then you have to have that trust you, you have to, to have the yeah. patience also and you have, to have the patience as well and, and 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 we should pray as well as a everyone who knows about Afghanistan right we should pray for them it's not just them who needs pray as you said Zakaria yeah they it's need prayers of others as well they need our prayers also Definitely. we should also pray for them as you said Definitely. so it's just it's just not f just for them of to get out from their situation mm. we they are our brothers they are sisters we should pray for them on a daily basis mm. and we should remember them we, we should ask Allah to help them out exactly exactly I mean th there is also a link with hard work as well so sometimes when there are lesser opportunities what people tend to do is you know or, or when they have lost their jobs or when there is nothing they can do uh, people start begging so do you think Islam teaches us to if if there is nothing we can do we should beg or is it something that the Islam uh, discourages us and tells us that you should do you should work and and earn your own money so if uh, I'll tell you a story yep. about uh, someone came to the Holy Prophet wasallam yep. and asked for some help hmm. Hazur gave him an axe I believe could be something else, but he uh, as we gave him an axe, yep. said, work for it. 
So he used to go to the jungle, uh, cut down trees, sell them off. And he used to make money? And, and he used to make money out of it. And he came out of that situation. Hmm. So when we are, if someone's going through poverty or something, we should, they should uh, also think about ways they can make money, right? Exactly. Not illegal ways, the correct ways. Legal ways. Legal ways. Yeah. Always remember, always take the right path and Allah will guide you on it. Don't take the easiest path. Take uh, the path that will, you know, is legal and uh, it, it will motivate you. So, I mean, someone who works hard and then at the end of the month they get their money or at the end of the day they get their money. There's so much satisfaction in that because you've worked hard for it now you have earned whatever you've done, right? And like I've said, there's another hadith or another saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him, uh, where he gave clear teachings on begging and, 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 and charity. Um, he said that begging or asking for food and money without repayment was the means by which the, holy, the poor survived at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him. And the Holy Prophet... Um, disapproved of begging and only allowed it under three circumstances and these are the three circumstances where you can beg first one first one is if one was in severe poverty and the second one is uh, when one did not have the, um, the uh, when one owes a enormous debt and the third option and the third reason where you can beg is when one did not have the means to pay blood money. So these are the three situations. Otherwise, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him, always encouraged um, the you know uh, the, the believers to work and earn their own money. Um, and of course, uh, he also said that he who begs from people when he has a sufficiency will come on the day of resurrection with his begging showing itself as scrapes, scratching and lacerations on his face. I mean, these are the situations where you could have worked, but you chose the easier way, right? Um, we were discussing about um, why we shouldn't, you know, and and what uh, circumstances, how we will be presented in in God uh, in front of God Almighty when we die, and and we've lived our lives of begging, right? Uh, and God Almighty certainly would not accept you begging this world, whereas you have been given, you know, hands and 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 your legs to work and provide for yourself and for your family, isn't it? Yes, Akari. You know, um, I was young when I was in Pakistan. I just remember a small thing. Yeah. A young guy, same age, uh, same age as me at that time. So I was like eight, nine, I mm. believe at that time, and. He came to our car and asked if I need some money. Yeah. So my mother asked him, why do you want money? Yeah. And he said, I need to, I want to buy a burger for myself. Right. The, there's, there's two different ways, right? One is yeah. one is someone really poor. Yeah. And one just, he wants something just to eat for his own pleasure. I mean, and the, begging for it. I mean, that person then, was honest. <laughs> yeah, he was honest <laughs> about was it. Honest, yeah. my, what my mom said to him was that I will not give you the money because she didn't uh, know who he is, right? Yeah. And what he was going to do with that money, yeah. right? So my mom with, made, with, took a, uh, got off the car, yeah. went to the vendor just, just outside there mm. who makes burgers. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's like a egg roll type burger. Mm. 
and she paid the vendor the money hmm. asked for burgers yep for him and his friends which were around him and she gave it to them it's like you can eat this instead of giving them money at that time because we don't know they might be using substances right yeah they might be abusing drugs so what my mom did was just give him the food which he wants which he, which he is craving for it right hmm. just give him the that food and just and save him from any wrongdoings at that time hmm. so we should always see if he can provide food for them yeah if they if they're asking for food we should always try to provide food doesn't matter in Afghanistan in the UK you know there are some people who are sitting they're asking for help yeah. with food the best thing in my opinion that's my own personal opinion it could be uh, someone could say no I'll rather give money I, I always try to give them food because yeah. I don't know what what that person does with that money right exactly so exactly. It's, so it's asking for food be provided with food yeah i i i remember uh, an incident as well but i will be discussing this after our <laughs> guest uh, <laughs> as uh, you know uh, been informed that um, our second guest is here alexandra uh, ruthish shower pereira I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly um who is uh, Action Against Hunger UK's head of nutrition. Assalamu alaikum with this uh, small introduction I would like to welcome assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time show. Assalamu alaikum um thank you very much for welcoming me. Wa alaikum assalam thank you very much for uh, connecting with us and joining us at the Voice of Islam. Um As you know we are discussing about uh, Afghanistan and the crisis mm-hmm. in Afghanistan uh, and the majority of the population um, of the developing countries like Afghanistan is facing uh, an inability to afford regular meals uh, we've discussed this during our show what support is your charity providing to the population of those countries uh in this regarding uh in this regards and and especially when it comes to Afghanistan yeah I'll, so I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about Afghanistan in, indeed um if yeah. if you if you wish at the at the beginning um so we've been in Afghanistan for about 30 years now mm-hmm. and that's really really important to know because when we've been so long in a country we are very well known by the communities they talk to us and we have a lot of information about what they eat what they need if they access food or not and what is the best way to help them mm-hmm. um and some of the examples that that we have recently is talking to shopkeepers in places where we work like Deikundi which is one of the poorest provinces mm-hmm. where they are telling us that the problem is the quality of local products which is very poor because of the drought mm-hmm. So they have imported products but they are very expensive. Uh we talk to mothers as well in our clinics um people are telling us that uh mothers particularly um are telling us some, some of them have been reduced to eating grass for weeks and giving grass to their uh family. Hmm. So when it is the case um like 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 it is in Afghanistan what we do and depending on what is available on the markets or not is directly providing food baskets to the mm. families or uh which is something that we favor more and more is providing cash assistance to the most vulnerable people so that they can buy the food mm. themselves in addition to covering their other needs because people might need more than just food uh and 
providing food to people who cannot afford how to cook the food, for example, can be a big problem. Um, so this is this is the type of assistance that we are providing in Afghanistan right now to cover the problem of food insecurity. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned about you provide cash to the vulnerables um, and helping them out. Does it have a better impact than providing aid or let's say food or anything else? It's just giving them cash is it's a best, better option or not? So we've we've been providing cash to vulnerable people in different parts of the world for, for quite a while now. And because we have doing been doing this for, for a while, and it's not only us doing it, uh, we, we are part of organization monitoring this. We've done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we know that one of the advantages uh, and the main advantage is the dignity it brings to people. Mm-hmm. We are not choosing for them the food that they will eat, and we are not choosing for them what we think they need. They are making the choice. And that's extremely important. Um, So, of course, then, there was the monitoring of that and how the money is spent. And we have evidence to show that the money, when people struggle to get food for their family, they will spend the money on food for their family. And they will spend the money on the highest need that they have to keep their families safe. we also know through research that there are ways we could um, design this, this cash intervention in mm-hmm. a way that we could improve nutrition directly. So, for example, you could put a condition to the cash. Okay. You could put a condition to um, a pregnant woman uh, going to antenatal care, for example, to receive the cash, or for children to be vaccinated, or being checked at the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can actually influence people's behaviors um, through the cash intervention. Um, and so we are bringing dignity to the people, but at the same time, we also improve some health-seeking behavior. And, um, and we, know, we know that it works. We know that we have research showing us that it has been improving um, nutritional status of, um, of children. Yes, you know, you just mentioned you with the conditions. Uh, that's a good idea, in my opinion. And But is the government of Afghanistan taking any steps to reduce poverty and hunger over there? Or are they just relying solely on the support of charities? So, I mean, the thing that is important to know about Afghanistan is that before this new government, Afghanistan was already depending at 70% yes. mm-hmm. on international aid in their economy before this. Okay. Um, and uh, we we are allowed to work in the country and to have access to, to places very high needs, uh, and the government is giving us access to that, which is really important. The main problem right now in Afghanistan mm-hmm. is the freezing of the assets of the Central Bank of Afghanistan by the American government, because this is having a very negative impact on people's purchasability. Okay. It's, it's the impact is on the people, not on the government. Currently, the foreign reserves of the central bank are frozen, which mm-hmm. means that international aid as well, which, um, which maintains the, 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 the policies, uh, the, the public system, is interrupted. Um, giving hard currency and the delivery of, uh, of cash uh, is being interrupted. And so people, people don't have cash. People don't have money. Mm-hmm. And currently, what the Afghan government is doing is working on trying to get those uh, sanctions lifted so that the economy can open up and breathe again. 
um, which is something that we are also calling for. So we are calling for a resumption of the official development assistance to make sure that the Afghan economy is able to fight against poverty itself. Nice. Um, and we are calling for the restoration of the banking system so that the international aid can be fully provided as well. Yes. Now, you just mentioned you're, you're doing quite a lot financially also, but um, is your charity also working to improve the health and nut- nutrition services for the people living in remote areas of Afghanistan who have a lack of local health care and yeah. are facing difficult times in those areas? Yeah, this is this is actually the core of our intervention, and this is probably also what we are we are most famous for more than cash distribution, uh, because of our expertise in health and nutrition. So we have obviously seen an increase in in malnutrition with the with the situation, um, particularly the most threatening forms. It, it's a form we call it acute malnutrition. You know, when the children are very very thin. Yes. And more than a million children under five will soon face uh, the, the severe form of, uh, of, of this extreme sickness. Okay. So what we've done is that we have increased the support that we are giving to the health system to treat those children, making sure that they can have access to good quality care. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we know that there are places where um, there are no health facilities. So we have increased the number of mobile clinics that okay. we run. So mm-hmm. we have teams going to villages and directly to communities to provide basic care for pregnant women and uh, and children. Um, and, and, uh, and, and that's the way we found to make sure that we, we are really covering as much of the population as we can. Okay. Do you know, Alex Alexandra, I hope and pray all the work you are doing there and it will flourish even more. And I always, uh, also pray for you guys that you stay safe also in Afghanistan when you're over there at Ground Zero. Uh, thank you so much joining us at Voice of Islam today and giving us such an insight and first-hand experience what's happening over there. Thank you so much for giving us a voice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, and thanks a lot for um, the people who are, who are listening for um, taking an interest in the situation yes. in Afghanistan. Thank you so much. For Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So, Zakaria, uh, I'm speaking to Alexandra right now. She has given us quite a lot to talk about today, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So she, they, they've been there for 30 years at Ground Zero. So obviously, they are having a first-hand experience in Afghanistan. Mm. And they know what's happening there. They speak. They're talk, going there and speaking to shopkeepers, hmm. and asking them, "What's what's the change which has to be done now?" Yeah. And ask them, "Okay, tell us what do you guys want." Hmm. Even with the cash, where you, um, she was talking about Alexandra, hmm. and to, um, laying out some conditions with it. Okay, we'll give you such amount, uh, x amount of cash, but for that you have to go vaccinate your children. That's a healthcare thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's providing clean and health med- medical care for your children, and you plus getting cash also to provide for food, and you and they they are giving you the freedom of choice. Okay, okay, you you can cook this, you can buy this, because there are quite many things which a family needs. Yeah. And not, it's, it's not always just food itself, food and water, but there's also there are some um, requirements for a woman, she, what she needs, and there are some requirements for the children, what they need, Yeah. right? Hmm. So, speaking to her right now, and 
she it has given me quite a lot of inside information. Seventy percent aid was given to Afghanistan before this even happened. Seventy percent, which is coming into Afghanistan, was um, was aid from throughout the world. Okay, that's you know, like you said, it was the beginning of the show as well. Yes, we should contribute as much as we can, right? Even if it's like fifty pence or thirty pence, right? And uh, you know, there are countries, there are nations who are helping out Afghanistan, and I hope they will go through these difficulties. But we have our last guest for this hour. We have Dr. Margaret Harris, um, who is a um, public health doctor and a spokesman for WHO. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Thank you very much. A pleasure for having you. Um, as you know, we are discussing about Afghanistan and the, uh, the, the issues, especially when it comes to the poverty. Um, uh, the rise in poverty in developing countries is resulting in the uh, inability of the population to access healthcare facilities. What steps have the WHO taken to make the healthcare system more accessible to people and specifically for um, to the people of Afghanistan? Uh, we've we've take, done a lot of work in Afghanistan because you're absolutely right. When you are struggling to find food for your children, mm. struggling to pay for just getting a roof over your head, often healthcare is one of the things that you put at the bottom of the list but in fact if you're starving if you're really struggling with the basics of life you are much more susceptible to any infectious disease that comes along mm-hmm. and sadly your children are particularly susceptible so it's critical that people can get to health care and we have worked to ensure that the primary health care system could continue to operate so we work via um, with uh, um, money from the World Bank but in partnership with the with UNICEF to ensure that all the primary healthcare centers could continue to function and were funded and that the, that the staff could be paid and that the supplies could all be there hmm. um, and this is absolutely critical because unless you have close care that's not going to cost you um, the, the, the money that you would spend on food people won't use health care Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more critical that people who with the least money have the best access to health care. Mm. Yes. So, you know, you just men- mentioned regarding food hunger. If there's a lack of food, it it develops, the children develop some diseases. So in these countries where there's a lack of this um, quality of life and is and they don't have the um, facilities of towards health care, in these areas, what does the WHO do regarding to improving the healthcare facilities worldwide? Right. So, indeed, that's very much uh, central to our mission. Yes, is what we call universal health coverage, and that sounds like something like insurance or something like that. But what it means yes. is that every human must be able to access healthcare wherever they are and close to where they are. Not you know, like having to tra- travel days and days to get to a hospital um, and not to have to necessarily go to a hospital at all, but to have 
high quality care by mm-hmm. a well-trained person nearby and by a well-trained person that they trust and who understands their culture and can really identify what needs to be done for them and also to provide other things. The critical thing is to have preventive health care services, so things like ensuring that all children can get vaccinated and all parents understand what vaccines are necessary and that, that those vaccines are in uh, yes. the health centres mm-hmm. and the, you know in all the with all the nursing um, practitioners nearby in the community and available for free not available uh, again costing you money that you might have to spend on food or other necessities uh, and so and other things also working with uh, families to ensure that the right nutrition gets to children so that when a child is born encouraging every mother to breastfeed for at least six months or as long as possible so that again the babies the children get the best chance at the best health right from the beginning and even before then making sure that women who become pregnant right from day one have good care so that while they uh, have so that from the first day of your life before you are born mm, you yes. are in best condition and your mother and your family are in the best condition mm, so indeed. there's an enormous amount of work to do indeed you know with you know especially with mothers when they're pregnant it, especially when in its poverty with it and it's all thrown into a mix and this causes mental and physical vulnerability so what kind of um, solution can we do for long term um, um, solution to towards this crisis? So again, I think what I'd really emphasize is that it's not a luxury mm-hmm. providing healthcare right in every community. It's a necessity for all of us as the world to ensure that everybody has the access to the highest level of health. And and not to say, oh, well, you know, we're dealing with financial crises. We can't look at that now. That should be the first thing we're doing. Yes. Uh, and and all of us looking at uh, our neighbours in our own communities, but also beyond our neighbours in the rest of the world. Because if we are not providing good health care, we're actually ultimately risking uh, the health of the entire world. Well, we've seen this with infectious diseases roaring back and roaring around the world because we have not done enough for our brothers and sisters in the less resourced parts of the world. Yes. You know, what has the World Health Organization done or is taking steps to make health care available to everyone without any discrimination at all? Yes, so that again is central to our mission and we have something called um, the um, the millions the the billions actually okay. we wanted we had a target of increasing the access to healthcare for at least another billion uh, uh, humans now that work was difficult to continue to do when we were so focused on covid but yes. we didn't stop um, and again when the world in a financial crisis governments tend to take their focus off providing access but for us that is the most critical work we do that for every every human that we increase the access to 
we are creating a, a safer and healthier world population. Okay. You know, speaking to you today, Margaret, it has given me quite a good insight what the World Health Organization does with the healthcare. And I would like to thank you and hope and pray that this mission continues. It's been a great pleasure and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to discuss these, these critical issues. Yes. And I do hope and pray you and your listeners are galvanized to make sure that everyone in the world has access to the highest level of health care. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. A pleasure. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. So yeah, um, very interesting uh, you know, conversation we had, isn't it? Uh, yes. With Dr. Margaret Harris. With, um, with doc- Dr. Margaret and Alexandra, both of them. Both of them, yes. Yes, definitely. It, was, it was quite an eye-opener for myself also. It was mm-hmm. a good educational yep. school curve, learning curve for myself today also. Mm. You know what the World Health Organization does with healthcare. Yep. I, I, I know what I know was, okay, they just go out, help out and just come back. Mm. But what goes up in the background? Yeah, Th- they you know only they can. That's why we get our experts to talk about the topics that we and discuss. I, for. Yes, and I hope the audience was listening to it also. Yeah, and definitely did, did also learn something today. Hmm, definitely, definitely. Now, um, support and possible solutions. Um, uh, what are the solutions? What are the support that people are getting? The UN appealed for almost two hundred. A uh, million dollars in extra funding for life-saving aid in Afghanistan after the Taliban's seizure, seizure of power. In response to the UNDP, proposed a package of interventions, including essential services and basic income, aimed to support close to 9 million vulnerable people, especially women and girls. And this is a, um, a report according to the Al Jazeera. Um, according to the World Bank, in order to reduce poverty in Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan must focus on strengthening the ar- agriculture, investing in human development, managing and mitigating risks that increase poor people's vulnerability. One year on from the Taliban's takeover, which is uh, you know now basically in 2022, um, a group of 32 Afghan and international non-governmental organizations are urging the international community to uh, abandon the country's people, but instead address the root causes of the economic crisis, stand up for human rights, and increase humanitarian aid. Yes, agree. When we look at um, the solution of poverty, right? Yes. What does Islam teach us? And does it... Um, you know, is it a pillar of Islam? Is it a part of our life of every Muslim? What does Islam teach us in regarding to uh, when it comes to uh, poverty and, and and how to tackle poverty? Okay, you know, Islam is a way of living. It simplifies life for us. And uh, what what Allah the Almighty is said is is regarding zakat, which is also a pillar. It should be a part of our life. It should be embedded in us. So giving some kind for some amount of money depending on how much you've earned th- and how much savings you had yep. and it's about 2.5% on your savings yep. not on your earnings but your savings the card is basically for our audience who are listening mm-hmm. it's a type of tax yep. 
but people will say okay tax we pay council tax we pay income tax we pay hmrc tax um, self-employment tax you name it we, we are paying a tax right yeah yeah but this tax is simple so this is taking from the rich giving it to the poor so it's making out a balance it's not on your earnings but it's on savings you have so if you don't touch those savings um, savings then you have to uh, give a amount of money x amount of money so i believe this saving is um a saving that you do and it's an, an amount let's say 4000 5000 or let's say 3 to 4000 and you have this saving for one year and you haven't touched it at all you haven't touched it yes right you have to give 2.5% percent. and only those people who are rich enough they'll be able to save Indeed. up isn't it and the more money they have the more percentage of that 2.5% goes to the poor people and yes and and this is how but that's the way that's why as, as I mentioned Islam yeah. is a l- way of living Islam yeah. teaches you a simple way of life solution for every problem in the society yes. is Islam so, isn't it for example if I was saving right and I'm not touching it at all for the whole year. That means yep. I don't need it, right? Mm-hmm. On from that, on top of that, just two point five percent from that amount, which is going to the poor, mm-hmm. and that's balancing out um, the uh, your community, your social area. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him himself said that zakat, um, the money that we just discussed, should be taken from the rich and given to the poor, denotes that the basic principle of zakat is sympathy for mankind and helping the poor and this is when you do this out of love and out of your responsibility you know automatically you have this love for the poor that you know you're given this and hopefully this will benefit the poor people and imagine the world adopt this or one country adopt it the whole country just in the matter of one or two years it will be balanced out again right there won't be any very rich people or very poor people you know it will, it will be balanced out everyone will be equal and everyone will be supporting each other if they're actually you know playing the rule of zakat in their life isn't it now, as uh, Allah the Almighty you know when he gives someone abundantly yeah right it's the man's work he has given to also provide for the people around him hmm. so Allah has given him he Allah has made him the path for the, those people yeah right so, it, what man is, we are sometimes we are weak. We become selfish. We say, okay, we have this X amount of money. We should double it. We should triple it. Quadruple it, right? Yep. And we don't think about the people around us, our neighbors, family members. You know, as in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, say, they ask thee what they shall spend. Say, mm. whatever good and abundant wealth you ha- spend should be for parents and near relatives and orphans and the needy and the wayfair and whatever good you do surely Allah knows it perfectly well hmm. so that's in chapter 2 verse 216 mm. yeah definitely so Allah knows what you're spending and if it's if you're spending it for your own will or to the rich people or actually spending it for it's also uh, about it's, it's, it's about your intentions right intentions exactly exactly it's all about intentions I mean there's so much uh, that we've learned today isn't it um, yes I mean uh, uh, for the first hour as well and the second hour um, you know addiction and how that can ruin our lives as well 
right? And this addiction is, of course, when we have everything, we have our phones, and we are addicted to the social media. We are addictive to the the things that we we see every day. Because like social media addiction is, you can't see it. It's yeah. not in front of you. It's between you and the phone, or the f- between you and the screen. Let's exactly, say. and it's something which is in the brain. But then physical difficulties that people are going through in poorer countries like Afghanistan is something that is very worrying of course um, and this is what we discussed today um, and um, we discussed the rise of poverty in Afghanistan uh, the impact on the population's access to the food uh, children's education and the healthcare system and poverty is a global crisis and it's not only distur- uh, you know disturbing for Africa and sometimes we when when we hear about the poverty we only hear about Africa okay uh, sometimes about other countries as well um, we hear about Asia and the Middle East but it is also a raising um, you know uh, a major concern in in the West as well there are countries who are poor in the West there are people who are struggling with their lives in the Western countries as well the only way to improve matters is to find ways and means to remove poverty hunger um and 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 and, uh, and scarcity islam has given us the uh, you know a remedy to remove poverty in the nation and one of the remedies of course is zakat one of the best and also charity is something which is encouraged by the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him um and he used to do it a lot in the end we also briefly touched upon the ongoing human rights violations in Afghanistan. Uh, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, uh, the uh, current caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, said that in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has repeatedly instructed true believers to fulfill the rights of mankind and to help all those in need or who face difficulties of any kind. The Quran has particularly emphasized the need to help the most vulnerable mas- uh, members of the society, such as those who are mired in poverty. I would like to, you know, thank our producers for today, um, Barida Ahmed and Maria Ahmed. They have, you know, without them, it was impossible for this um, show to be successful. Thank you to them. I would also like to thank Habib. Um, uh, Sadiq, who is um, you know behind the tech, so thank you to all uh, who were listening as well, and um, and and also for the interview that was taken and for the callers. Thank you uh, for um, uh, everyone. Thank you to everyone, and here is the news.